Welcome to the Mosh Zone, episode 45, week 45, volume 45, number fucking 45. How you going, guys? How's your week been? Thank you for tuning in. So first things first, we are changing things up on the weekly podcast. What that means is we'll no longer have a Mosh News segment and we'll no longer have a Mosh Review segment. Don't worry though, all of our Mosh News you can still find on our website and social medias and we will be eventually on the website and social medias also incorporating some Mosh Reviews. So what's that mean for the podcast? It means that your weekly podcast we are going to be focusing just on our chat just on our interview, just on our guests. The reason for this is putting together this show, I have a lot of fun each week, but there is a lot of time spent with discovering the music, reviewing the music, listening to it over and over, making notes, then got to take time out for interviewing guests, getting to know them, background checks, all of that. There is a lot of time that goes into it, and it's starting to feel a bit like a chore. So the thing with this show from the offset was to have guests on, so we're going to go back to focusing just on guests. But don't worry, as I said, news and reviews will be on the website and social medias. So of course, our website is www.themoshzone.com. Social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Make sure you're subscribing to the website, and making sure you're liking and following us on those social medias so that you stay update with all the latest news and reviews when we update you. So this week's episode and guest is none other than the absolute, absolute fucking legend, Scott Vogel of Terror. Now, this guest to say I was really nervous and excited and fanboying is a massive understatement. If you know me, you know there's a very few bands that I hold in such high esteem and high regard and that I am obsessed with. One of those bands that I am absolutely obsessed with is Terror. Took a while to get Scott on the show, took a lot of persistence emails, messages, consistently trying and trying, finally got hold of Scott and so amazed that I got to have him on the show. He was really insightful, really honest and he was himself and I've got to say thank you so much Scott for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Really, really, really enjoyed the chat and was a big moment for me, not only as a fan, but a big moment for the show. That chat with Scott is coming up now. So, do you kind of remember growing up the first band or artist that kind of helped you discover what music was? It doesn't have to be a heavy band, but just music in general? Hmm. Um, I had a really cool situation happen to me when I was really young. Um, my mother's boyfriend at the time gave me on vinyl the first two Black Sabbath records, the self-titled record and, um, Paranoid. So 
I was a little. I had actually bought um, Kiss Alive two uh, on vinyl at a garage sale, but I think I just bought the, this. Is when I was really young, and I think I just bought that because of the look. Like as a kid, how can you pass up a Kiss record when you pick it up? So I think that's the first record I ever bought, and then um, maybe my mom's boyfriend saw that I was into metal. I don't know if you consider Kiss metal, but loud rock and he gave me those two records and from there it was uh on to acdc your your uh country mate <laughs> and um iron maiden and i got into all that stuff and then uh i also early on got into hip-hop like uh run dmc and utfo and houdini and like the early rap stuff like that and um, next, it was like the hair metal thing, like Motley Crue and uh, Rat and shit like that. And then um, my stepbrother got really into punk, and uh, he kind of brought me into that world, and that obviously brought me to hardcore. Now, what about what about the heaviest side of music, whether it was Kiss or you know, any of the punker stuff, what about it drew you in as a young kid? Was it the aggressiveness? Was it the message? What about it made you excited? I mean, I would have to say, you know, I was a little troublemaker. I like to, like, <laughs> go out at night and throw rocks at cars and break things and um, <laughs> be a bad kid. And it probably just went along with the... Uh, you know, just being a younger kid and being a little bit crazy and finding my uh, soundtrack for the insanity. <laughs> so you you grew up in Buffalo at high school. Did you, um, you know, did you associate yourself as an alternative kind of punk kid or were you just kind of an everything kid like a jock or something? Well, I went to a, a suburban high school on, you know, the, in the suburbs of Buffalo. And um, my brother, who I went to school with, uh, it was me, him, and one other kid named Joe. We were probably the only three people in that school that really knew what hardcore, or definitely hardcore, maybe a few people heard of the Sex Pistols, but we were definitely the only three people in that school that went to shows. Um I kind of always dressed exactly like I dress now, kind of uh, a shaved head and some um, uh, Nike sneakers and some, you know, collegiate wear or, or hooded sweatshirts and stuff. So um, I never really looked kind of crazy, but my brain has always been kind of crazy. So... <laughs> Um, in high school, I kind of, I kind of, um, could fit in because I also played sports and I also smoked weed. So I could fit in with all the kids that smoke weed because I'd smoke weed with them. And I also played on sports teams, but I was, you know, I never really fully clicked with people like that. My, I've always kind of, uh, known that I was pretty anti-social and not really into the the uh, uh, the way the American dream is portrayed. So, um, yeah, I think I, I could get along with people 
and I had common interests with most people, but I also knew that I was not like them at the same time. Now, you, you mentioned in there that you were going to gigs, and uh, you obviously, from, from what I know, being a bit of a obsessed fan of the band, is you were going to gigs at a young age, <laughs> and um, what, what was it like back then in your local scene? Was it thriving, or was it just kind of, you just go to shows for the sake of going to shows? No, it was it was fucking amazing. Uh, I started going to shows in like 1980, 1987 in Buffalo. And uh, Buffalo is like Western New York, in New York State, but more Western. But, you know, in the, the late 80s, the New York hardcore scene and the Boston scene and the D.C. scene uh, were unbelievable. Like, um, you know, like Agnostic Front, Warzone, Sick of It All, uh, every great New York band, like classic band, Youth of Today, uh, all the youth crew bands, um, they all came to New Buffalo. Um, so uh, I was very fortunate to see that late 80s wave of all those bands. And then, like I said, Boston, Slapshot would come and Wrecking Crew would come. And um, it was it was an amazing scene. And, and you know, it was smaller. Buffalo's a small city. And uh, we had a, a, an amazing club called the River Rock Cafe that, uh, you know, thinking about it now, it was small. It probably, probably was packed at like 300 people. But I didn't know any different. I, I would see a place like that full and think it was like the biggest show in the world. You know, I had I had gone and seen like Molly Crew at the... The, the hockey arena but this was like a whole different world where you're like shoulder to shoulder with everyone in every direction you look it's full of hardcore kids and uh the scene in buffalo was amazing and you know at first i was pretty intimidated there was uh you know a lot of skinheads there was a lot of um people a lot older and bigger than me and a lot tougher looking than me so at first I was just kind of like feeling out the elements and then, um, you know, before too long, you couldn't get me off of the fucking mosh pit dance floor. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah. So, I mean, when, when was the period for you when you decided that music was what you wanted to have a go at? Was it around this stage or was it a little bit older? No, it was pretty early, like, uh, early on, um, even before, so before I got into hardcore, um, me and my stepbrother, who, who I'm just going to, for now, I'm just calling my brother. So me and my brother, uh, he played bass and guitar and I played drums and we played in some different bands, what you would call them, like punk bands, some just weird bands. And we were just trying to figure out, you know, what the local music scene was about, what the punk scene was, the hardcore scene. And we both really fell in love with hardcore. And, um, you know, we had been doing some bands. And I don't know, I guess maybe the uh, athlete in me said, instead of playing drums, I want to, you know, jump around like a fucking <laughs> madman. And so we started my, my first band called Slugfest. He played guitar, I sang. And uh, the way that started is pretty pretty crazy. The, the club I was talking about, 
uh, the River Rock Cafe, the the owner, not the owner, but the owner's son. So the the guy that ran the whole place, he was, you know, he would see us there all the time because we'd go to pretty much every show that we could get to. And I don't know exactly how it came up, but we ended up starting Slugfest with him playing drums. Hmm. So uh, that worked out good because we could practice there. And then when we were ready, he got us our first show with Judge. So, you know, we had like a, the guy that booked all the shows there was our drummer. So we got to play with some cool, cool band. So pretty early, like uh, I would say 1987, I first started going to hardcore shows. And by like 1990, maybe 89, Slugfest started. Fuck. And, uh, you know, I, I, I mean, still, uh, even, you know, all my bands, it was never, uh, I'm going to play music for a living or I'm going to make this, uh, I'm going to be a rock star or I'm going to make enough money where this is going to be worth it. It was just playing in bands and working shitty jobs. And even, even when terror started, I mean, I, I mean, I never guessed it would last this long. And I never guessed we would tour so much. I mean, most, I mean, 99 out of 100 hardcore bands do not put out, I don't know, seven albums or whatever. So um, I don't know how it happened. And even when Terror started, it wasn't like, uh, okay, I was in Buried Alive and I figured out how to tour and I'm going to start this band with the plan of uh, making this a living. It was always just like, I love hardcore. I love playing it. Time to start. And that, that one fell apart. Let's start a new one. And somehow this one hasn't fallen apart. And just going back there, you said you started drums. Why Why drums? Why not guitar? And why not start on vocals? Were you just, that's what you wanted to pick up? Because you picked up the most loud, abusive instrument of all of them yeah. to start off with. Yeah. I think my brother had a guitar, so I guess... If you want to be able to play together, you got to have a drummer and guitarist. So <laughs> I don't really know. I, I don't know, but it just happened that way. With with vocals, when and you... I wasn't, I was, I wasn't that great of a drummer. There's a there's a band, a Buffalo band called Fade Away. Oh yeah, that put out. Uh, they have a split seven. They have some two demos I didn't play on, but then I joined the band playing drums and. They have a split seven inch and a, a four song CD. If, if anyone wants to hear me play drums, it's not all that great. <laughs> now, the, the band's good, but I, I wasn't that good. Now, when you when you started vocals, um, you know some people have it, some people don't. With inspirations, was there a vocalist that you had grown up loving that that's what you wanted to be? You were like, that's who I want to emulate. Like I want to do what he does. Well, when I started, I don't think Madball was a band yet. Um, they might have just barely been starting, but they weren't on my radar yet. But as soon as I saw Freddie Madball and his style, I think I was like, I want to be like that. That's the that that that's like my main influence. I think he has the best stage presence and a, uh, just his his flow on stage is great. So. Uh, probably in the mid, the first time I saw Madball was when Set It Off came out. They played in Toronto. I uh, saw them up there. So that's the first time I saw them. So 
from then till now, I'm just trying to be Freddie. <laughs> that's that's a pretty good inspiration. That's a pretty good inspiration. <laughs> um, yeah, he he know he knows it. I've told him lots of times. <laughs> <laughs> now, you mentioned buried alive in there, which you did before Terror. Now, what was it like at the time? Because you've recently gone back to that, and you've done a couple of you know one-off shows. Was anyone giving a fuck about Buried Alive at the time? Because it seems like now everyone cares about it, but was there any care back then? Um, I mean, yeah, definitely not. Not We were never a big band. I, I wouldn't say a ton of people cared, but I think we put out a really good album, and I think it was a good recording, and we were on Victory, so that gave us the exposure. Um, but to be honest, we would play, uh, we would play lots of shows with All Out War and Reach the Sky and Death Threat. Those were like our go-to bands we would play with all the, all the time on the weekends. And some of the shows were great and some of the shows were, you know, 80 kids. They could still be great with 80 kids, but smaller. Um, and yeah, over, over the years, I've been asked a lot to do a Buried Alive reunion and I just wasn't into it. And then, um... I was in Buffalo and, and saw that there were, there were five members, so without me, there's four other members. Two of them I had kept in touch with. Two of them I really fell out of touch with kind of in a bad way. And I uh, saw them. I was at, uh, in Buffalo, where I'm from, and I went to a Judge show. Actually, my, my band World Be Free played with Judge, so I was there. And they were the two guys I hadn't really talked to in like 15 years were there, and we kind of reconnected and had a couple drinks together and started talking and then decided uh, maybe it'd be fun to do it. And that ter- um, that Buried Alive then led into Terror, and you were saying before that kind of you didn't know what to expect, but was, was the early years of Terror a lot of... Because you guys are known as a grinding, hard-working, touring band... A lot more in the early days, you guys kind of pace things out better now for yourselves, but was the early years, a lot of that learning through Buried Alive with touring and performances, was that essential to getting Terra off the ground running? Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think um, uh, I had, you know, a, a little bit of an idea of, how to work a crowd and a little bit of an idea of how to write lyrics and, um, you know, that living in a van can be mentally trying. And, uh, some of the mistakes I made in Buried Alive, like being a total band Nazi and being a dick to the other members, uh, you know, I kind of learned from that. So, but more so than anything, I think one of the good things with Terror was like, uh, there was me from the East Coast and Buried Alive who had like more of a metallic sound. And then the band started with Todd Jones, who was out here on the West Coast, our original guitarist. And he booked shows and kind of was a known dude out here. And uh, it made it kind of easy for us because both of us knew a lot of people, whether they were in bands or did record labels or book shows. And, you know, we kind of had like a little bit of an advantage, but I don't really see that as a bad thing. I, I think that kind of how the scene works when you put in time and 
you've uh, go go to shows and meet people, and you let bands sleep on your floor, and you meet people that do record labels, and you stay in the scene, and you don't like disappear. Uh, obviously, you're gonna get the help from your friends when you start something new. So, a lot of people say, "Oh, ex-members bands, they just they just get a free pass, and everyone like l- likes them off their old glory." And I, I mean, I see what you're saying, but I don't look at it that way. I'm, I'd be like, "Okay, these people have put in time, and they're still dedicated to the scene, and have done a lot, and are still doing it." they're going to get my support you know of course you got to back it up with some decent music but um yeah i think we kind of had the contacts and it made it a little bit easier for us well that's the thing i think you 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 hit the nail on the head there with the decent music not only were you guys grinding away but your first three releases looking at them now of course lowest of the low one with the underdogs and always the hard way these albums now a lot of people say a pivotal hardcore albums that they're up there with the best of the best up where with the agnostic front mad balls sick of it alls all of this kind of stuff at the time when those albums came out did it feel like these albums were making an impact or were you still just having to grind at it to try and see an impact No, I mean, I definitely, I, I mean, I, I'm not putting them in the category that you said. I, I don't put us up there with Agnostic Front, any of our records. So I'm not saying that, but I do know when Lowest of the Low came out, you know, it was, it was, I hate to use these terms, but it was selling very well. Mm-hmm. Like we'd be on tour and we'd have people, this was when people still bought records, we'd have people from Hot Topics coming to our shows and being like, we can't keep your record in press. You got to tell your label to send us more. And we're like, well, we have nothing to do with that, but that's cool to hear that people are buying our record. So, you know, there was an immediate growth with the band. And I think that was, you know, we, Low to Low is a really furious record. Um, it's just 10, it's on 10 the whole time. And some people love that. And we were also touring really hard. And on top of that, we weren't like, we weren't boxing ourselves in. We weren't only touring with like straight up hardcore bands. We were touring with like 18 Visions and Every Time I Die, but at the same time with like Blood for Blood and uh, Death Threat. So, you know, we were kind of like, we kind of had the attitude, we're ready to play. We're all, all of us are in, in this band trying to make a go of it. So you offer us a tour. We're not asking many questions. We're not asking what what's our slot on the lineup or what are we getting paid. We're just going to go out there and make it happen. And we did that for a few years, and it's it's a tough grind. But before too long, you know, you're you have a fan base, and you can go out there and do stuff by yourself. Another thing that you guys have done, which you know you've lasted through from when you guys started in 2002 to still going now you guys have lasted through a lot of different things you know like the industry changing uh trends coming and going and you guys have still maintained a steady momentum is is that just an old school ethic that you guys have to just maintain and do what you do because a lot of bands just will buck with the trends they'll go all right we're gonna 
change up to be a radio sounding band or we're going to change our look or any of these kind of things what what's been the key for you to stay true i think the key maybe at our highest points like when when one with the underdogs was out and we were doing like these big festivals there was this tour over here that sounds the underground and we were out with like Lamb of God and Behemoth, you know, like, and that was a high point. And then when Keepers of the Faith came out, it was this whole like movement and people love terror and terror tattoos everywhere and Keepers of the Faith, this and that. Like those high points, we never like let it go to our head because then the low points when we're, too drunk and I'm blacked out on stage and people are like, this guy's a fucking drunk mess or we're having inter-band fights or we just go play a show and there's 20 people there and we look at each other like, we've been doing this for 10 years and there's 20 people here. What the fuck are we doing? We just never let either of those like bring get us too high and our egos up or bring us down too low because, you know, just like we're doing this band because we love it. We believe in ourselves and we aren't chasing trends we aren't going to change our look because we're uh com not, not confident but we're comfortable with who we are and the size of our band and when good things come to us and we catch a wave where people are like really really riding for us cool we're gonna ride that wave but when the wave stops and the shows are a little bit smaller <clears throat> you just play because you love it and wait till the next wave comes along has the passion always been as high for this band as as it is now like i mean was there was there a period of struggle with wanting to do it i mean has there ever been maybe we should call it a day low low points are mostly interband when we're not getting along when someone in the band is really annoying another member and you can really tell low points for us too are when we <laughs> have had the wrong combinations of band members and alcohol becomes like way, way too uh, overused. And I'm, I'm not saying like we've ever all straightened up, but just certain lineups of the band, there's just been a combina bad combination of people that love to drink too much. So you've kind of learned your lessons along the way, basically, to be able to get to where you are now. I mean, in some ways, we still have, you know, any band isn't perfect. Every band has uh, little inter-band problems. But I think we've all kind of grown past the really bad things and kind of know our limits and what and what we can't do to each other and kind of just navigate in more of a mature way. Now, the, the other thing going on now of course is you know you guys dropped absolute fucking barnstormer of an album total retaliation the first question about that i've got is what was the decision and who made the decision to branch out and go to will putney uh that was actually suggested by pure noise records the the label we put this is our first record with them um, as the label and they suggested will i was uh, a little bit hesitant because he's a little bit more 
known for maybe a little more of a metalcore uh, uh-huh. band he works with, and his sound is a little clean uh, and modern, as we want to be a little bit more raw. Mm-hmm. But uh, all it took was me to get on the phone with him once, and I quickly learned he comes from the exact same hardcore background as Terror does, and you know he knew we could talk about Killing Time, we could talk about Madball, we could talk about E Town Concrete, and uh, he just he got it, and he had a <clears throat> we just had like a really good talk, and then I said I'm down to do this. Um, Nick, our drummer. He also records band, so uh, I want him to be comfortable with where we're going and who's producing and what studio. So he uh, he was on board too, and and we said, "Let's do this shit." It's also it's also a, I mean, anyone that knows Mayball knows that you're fucking pissed off. Like you're always pissed off. I mean, some people would say that you're just angry, but there's also a message behind that. But this album. You sound as aggressive as back on lowest of the low. Is that the climate of the world that you're seeing at the moment that motivated that fury and anger? Or was it just the timing? Absolutely. No, absolutely. I mean, a lot of terror is about this world's a fucked up place, but we have the hardcore scene, so everything's going to be all right. It's going to get me through it. I'm going to overcome this stuff. I'm one of the underdogs. We're going to do this shit. But that's just not how I feel right now. All I feel is this world is fucking disturbing and a nightmare. And it's not getting better. It's getting worse. And I don't know how much hope I have left. Well, I think that's clearly you have the old school ethics that quite often the art of time should react to what's going on around it. Is that something that you maintain to do because your lyrics can kind of be taken in multiple ways you're not straight out calling out a political issue you're kind of finding a way around it have you ever thought about writing a direct you know like anti-trump song well i mean the the ep we did before this was called the walls will fall so that's kind of what that was about so i mean i'm not gonna pretend I'm the most uh, well-versed person in politics, but over the last couple years, I've really been paying attention more and trying to keep up as much as I can because sometimes I just can't take it with so much shit that's going on in this country alone, as well as the world. It's just, it's just, almost mind-blowing how greed has just completely consumed the human race and how much people shit on each other just for their own personal gain and it's just it's just pretty sad so it's got it's also um, got to be really strange for you you know you guys travel a lot of europe and other parts of the world as well. It's got to be really strange with what's going on in your backyard to then be going over to Europe and instead of them being like, wow, you're American, they're looking at you now like, oh my God, you're an American. You know, in this Trump thing, like they're like, you're responsible for this in some way. 
Yeah, well, I think you got it a little bit wrong because they've all Europeans always are like always have been like dumb Americans. You don't know anything about politics. Oh, dumb Americans, you're all over overweight dumb Americans. <laughs> you know, there's always that. But and be, a while ago, you could do that. Go fuck yourself. I love living in America. It's fucking great. Now you're like, yeah, we. You're right. We're the dumbest Americans you could ever find, and you you have every right to be feeling that way because I feel the same exact way. It's it's insane. I I just oh Australia is not much better. We're we're fucking we're just as bad. We're fucking insane ourselves. We we just constantly quick keep switching prime ministers. All it takes is for them inside Parliament to go. Yeah, I don't really like him. Get rid of him. We keep changing our leader, not through our own votes. It's through the people in that office that we put in power somehow. It's insane. Sounds like fun. No, it's fucking ridiculous, dude. Fucking ridiculous. Um, Now, one thing I wanted to ask about was what happened to you a couple of years ago with your neck and your surgery. Um, Big, big unfortunate pivotal part of you know, life happened to you that you hurt yourself. How, how did that come about? Was it through just being chaos and a maniac on stage that you just slowly hurt yourself? Yeah, that's exactly it. Just like all the touring, uh, flying, sitting in the van, going off on stage, sleeping wherever, uh, uh, drinking too much, eating like shit on the road, just kind of like didn't watch the warning signs and it got to a point where I had like really bad um, herniated discs in my neck. Decided to get a surgery, which I thought would be a good idea, but I wish I wouldn't have now. I mean, it helped a little, but I think it did more bad than good and it really sucked, and I think I'll always be a little bit fucked up over it physically. But it is what it is, and I'm just a. Uh, I've got the the trooper mentality, so I just, you know, I've got a lot of like pain and aches and pains, but nothing to fucking cry about. I'll be okay. So, <laughs> luckily, we're still touring, and tours have been going good for me physically. So trying to take a little bit better care of myself and uh, tour a little bit less. Tours are a little bit shorter. And uh, that, that works out good for my, my body, but everyone else in the band, it works out good for their bodies and all of our minds, too, that we're just not in the van for months on end. Did they, what did they do? Did they fuse your stuff or did they put a plate in? No, neither of those. It's called... Um, posterior so they go from the back mm. decompression they kind of just shave the bone mm. away to give the disc some more room to uh not be pressing on the nerves that's what my wife had in her lower back and it didn't actually help her it actually has made things worse for her so i can only imagine what it's like in your neck yeah that fucking sucks i mean thinking back now i should have uh really done i i did a lot of like physical therapy and um steroid injections i did a lot of things that you do to uh before you get surgery but then when i talked to the surgeon he just i mean i guess he just 
told me it was going to go so great and I'd feel so much better after. And I don't think he was lying. Maybe he was, I don't know, but that really wasn't the case. It was, it was, uh, some serious difficulty. Fuck. Now so I feel, I feel for your wife very much. That shit sucks. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty bad. We're we're at the stage now where she had surgery a year and a half ago, the same that you had in her your neck she had in her lower back. Um and they're looking that it's got so bad they're thinking that they might have to do um a plate. You know, she's thirty five and her back is like an eighty year old, so it's any of that that region it's just it's horrific what you guys put yourselves through. And then, especially for you, you're then doing it on stage for countless nights in a row. Um, do you have a routine for helping it through after a show? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely do these exercises that I do during the day, and then I'll stretch before the show, and then I'll ice it after. And um, luckily, when we're in Europe, which we tour Europe a lot, um, we're on a bus over there because we, we can draw a little more people over there and we can afford it. Um, so it's a little bit easier when you're on a bus because you have a place to go and lay down and I can ice my back and stuff. In the U.S., it's a little bit harder when we're in a van. Um, sometimes, you know, you just drive through the night and you just kind of skip it, which is dumb. But I, I just, I'm not going to be like, hey, pull the van over for 15 minutes and I'll lay on the ground and ice my back, which... I guess I maybe should do, but that's just not the reality of how life works. Now, wanted to change gears into asking your thoughts on the record industry. You've you've been around since the times when you had to enjoy the searching of finding a band. You know, I remember when you used to buy a CD and you'd look in the inner notes and you go, all right, E-Town Concrete, all right, better check them out. And then you'd go and find their music, and then from their music you'd find another one. Where do you see the industry right now? I mean, you know, I, I can talk about those days when you really had a search for music and you there wasn't so many bands. Like right now, I, I could say things are really oversaturated. There's anyone could start a band and record a band in their house. Someone could right now start a band tonight, record it on their laptop, and have it online by tomorrow. Like it's really that. It can be that easy if you want to do it that quick. So there's so much stuff out there that it's really hard to keep up with. But, I mean, bottom line is we can we can say it used to be this way. You used to have to find things at a record store. You, you, like, I used to flip through Maximum Rock and Roll, more of a punk magazine, and any ad in there where it was someone with, like, a shaved head that looked like a hardcore band, I would put $3, a money order for $3 in an envelope and then wait, like, four or five months and then a seven inch would finally show up. I used to do that all the time. And there was something special about that and unique. And like I said, only three people in my whole high school could even know what that's like. Now it's completely different. Now I could tell someone what hardcore is. And if they wanted to stay up for 48 hours, they could just teach themselves and 
go tell someone else about hardcore. It's like that simple. And both of those things have good points and both of those things have bad points. Um, but the reality is things have changed and it's a completely different world and there's nothing you or I can fucking do about it. So you just got to kind of accept what's going on and, you know, just like the te- just like the telephone has changed, mm. and you and I are talking in different contexts. What day is it there? I'm a day ahead. It's, mo- it's Monday, or it's Tuesday. I don't even know what day it is. Right. So, like you know, technology is just insane, and you just got to kind of accept it. Remember the beauty of the past, and try not to let the things now get totally out of hand. And but you can't be like that bitter old jaded guy too. You don't, you know. One one thing that's one thing that must be a bit different, apart from like you're saying, you can't be jaded. But is there now a pressure to stay in everyone's attention? Because now, if you're not constantly producing something new, um, people can easily switch their attention. So it's a little bit different now. So is there a feeling of you always have to produce a new song or a new video or a new tour. Yeah, I don't know. I think I think the the, the reality is because this was ter- between the twenty fifth hour and uh, total retaliation. That was the longest terrors ever waited without putting an album out, and it seemed to maybe make people want it more. Like, you know, we put so much stuff out. We actually, we actually put that wall, the walls will fall EP out just to kind of give us some time to, not because we didn't want to write, but we literally just said, we put so much stuff out. Let's like, just put a couple songs out and wait another year or two, which we have never done before. So maybe that's part of the reason why people were more picking up on this record, but I think it really goes, anything, whether it's what label you're on, anything. I think it's just, if you put out a good record, it's good. It's good. And people are gonna, people are gonna be drawn to it. If you put out a a mediocre record that you kind of phone it in and the lyrics are kind of just thrown together and the music kind of sounds like the last one and it's just kind of like put together. And you can usually you can usually hear and feel that, and it's just not exciting. So I think it really comes down to putting out a record that has an energy and a pulse to it. And that's clear. Um, you can I think it's a bit of everything there. Not only is there an energy and pulse on that album, but I think, like you said, you made people keen and urging for new stuff, and um, they clearly went off for it with lyrics. Is is that something that's always been easy for you to do? Because, I don't know, it would seem like it's a bit of a hard thing. You know, you've always got to um, vent and be yourself. Is it ever something, do you get writer's block? Do you struggle? Do you find it easy? Different times, different... Uh, it's, sometimes it's hard, it, and it can be like... One, one time you have a thought through your head and you just grab a pen and write down like 50 different lines. And that, that doesn't have to be the whole song start to finish. But out of those 50 lines, you pull like the best 
12 lines out and you have a song. You just wrote a whole song that's one of your best memorable songs in 10 minutes. Other times I just say, okay, I got to write some lyrics. We got to record soon. And I'm just drawing a blank. So it's like a, sometimes it comes really easy and you have a perfect song. <clears throat> sometimes it takes a while and you piece together something really cool. Sometimes the shit that's coming out is just forced and it sucks. So it's, it's all over the place. Now, I've got kind of two questions left before we wrap things up. One is, you know, it. I, you're an opinionated guy and that's a good thing. Um, but <laughs> it's I, also they... Uh, <laughs> You know, some people say, "Oh, you're 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 grumpy." Um, I think I think it's weird when you read what people say. But one thing I'm interested in is hardcore. In who said, who said I'm grumpy? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, nobody. Just I did. You know, it's just a few people I do research, and you're like, "Why does everyone say Scott's grumpy?" Because I don't think he's been grumpy. Um, they say that. <laughs> What do you think, do you think hardcore in 2018 still has the same sense of power, meaning, message, and community that it always has? Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I do. I mean, we get, to, we get to tour a lot, and I get to see hardcore all over the world. And on top of that... I go to a lot of shows that I don't play and I go to like, you know, straight up hardcore. I, I'm, I'm pretty open-minded to the within hardcore. There's different themes within hardcore and I'm pretty open-minded to go into a lot of it. And I do see there is, there is a division. There are people that only want to be part of this or that, or if you're not this, you're that dividing line. But I think the overall like defining thing of hardcore is bands hit up other bands and they book shows together and you come to my city and I'll book a show for you and you can sleep on my floor and you do the same for me next month and there's zines being made and yeah I think there is definitely a community thing to it I think uh, you know on top of that it's been diluted somewhat with like people being kind of more concerned with maybe the social aspect of hardcore with everybody being friends and maybe fake friends and uh, stuff like that. So there is some diluting factor to it, but I think all in all underneath everything, the community aspect is definitely there. Yeah. Now, this has just made me think of something else. Your this thing that started that was called Vogelisms, and how now everyone knows the phrase "I need I need more stage dives in my fallback." Um, where did this come from? Like, was this something you knew that started? You know, I don't I don't even know if I've ever said that. I, I mean, when that when that site came up and someone tipped me off to it. It was like at first a little bit, oh wow, someone made a site about me. I'm, <laughs> I have people, and but then 
then when I read some of that, like I, I have a, I have a uh, vocabulary. There's just certain words I don't say. Just like everyone else, there's certain words that, not not even like I'm not saying like offensive words or I would never say that because uh, there's just things I don't I just don't speak. There's like th- words that aren't in my vocabulary, and there there's there's just stuff on there that I've never said. So there's things on there that I have said just to be goofy. You know, some some shows are just more goofy than others, and you're just in a playful mood. And uh, then there's just stuff on there that's just nonsense. I think the site's gone now. But after a while, when I'm getting asked about that site all the time, and people ask me, did I make that? And like, no, I didn't fucking make that. Do you think I'm like some <laughs> weird egomaniac? I, uh, I wrote to it, and I was like, hey, take this site down. And it was like a, a female in Toronto, Canada. That's like, oh, I'm just such a fan please let me leave it up. And I was like, yeah, okay, just leave it up. But I mean, <laughs> I, I don't really know about it. I, I, I think it's goofy. It's kind of funny. Some of the stuff is so over the top stupid. Some of it's over the top stupid. And I actually did say it, but some of it's so stupid that I never said it. So I just what it is. It's crazy that, that, that it even exists. Um, now, <laughs> The it really is like some people as soon they say oh you like terror oh that vogelisms I'm like you don't even like terror but you know this you don't know a song but you know this that's really weird to me like, really fucking weird um, last question I've got before we start to wrap things up is we've got this tour finally you're coming back in January. Um, six fucking years. I mean, talk about making a guy wait six fucking years. Um, not only six years, but the last time you guys were down here, you were part of that Soundwave festival and you didn't play any, you played, I think you played a couple of side shows, but they weren't, they were like Perth and Adelaide, I think, if I remember correctly. Um, first off, why are you making us Terra fans wait so long i mean this is it's been agonizing six years um to be 100 percent perfectly honest we have been contacting uh, like back and forth with people that have booked tours for us in the past and they would say the scene here is not so great right now yeah you could come out well you can come over but you might lose money. Mm. And it's like, uh, we, we've been there a bunch. We love Australia. We've had great tours over there, but we're not really at the point where we can like go tour somewhere and fly, you know, 15 hours and lose money. That's just not realistic. So not, not to get business. Cause I'm not like really Mr. Business and we're not making tons of money. And that's not really what the band's about, but, when we've been somewhere like five times and we would love to come back and they're say, we really can't fly you over here unless you're ready to lose money. We're just like, nah, we'll wait, we'll wait. And we waited and waited. And then, um, we had this, uh, idea to, um, last, uh, maybe like two years ago, we went to, Japan was stick your guns and it was a, a great tour. It was, it was one of our best Japanese tours we've ever done. So when we were going to go back there, 
I said to the guy booking that tour, this guy Dikey, I was like, what do you think of us doing it with Stick to Your Guns again? It went so good. And he was like, yeah, I like that idea. So we hit them up and they said yes. And then they said, what do you think about going to Australia afterwards? And we we're like, dude, this is, this is why we waited. Now, <laughs> now we're going to go back with a band we love, a band that has a different draw than us. And uh, I really, you know, we're excited to come back. It's been forever, but I really don't know what to expect. I mean, we haven't been there in so long. And like you were saying, with the way it is now, if you go away for too long, people will fucking forget about you. So um, we're kind of glad we're going with another band that's headlining. And uh, hopefully they'll draw some people and we'll draw some people. and It'll be cool shows. Yeah, I think I think what that guy told you about the Australian scene is a bit correct where, you know, we are a small pond um, and unfortunately we're going through a bit of a lull with with new bands and new bands of especially hardcore styles. But I think you guys, that time away, I think it's a bit like the time with the albums. I think kids are definitely going to turn up for you guys, but there's also been kids that will definitely turn up for you, stick to your guns. So I think it's a really exciting tour. Um and just can't fucking wait. Six years has been agony for myself because I saw the first tour you guys did down here. Um, I can't wait to see it again. Can't wait to hear some of these new songs live. Some of the songs off 25th hour as well. Just all of this stuff, I can't can't fucking wait. It's overdue about fucking time. Um, now, Scotty, we wrap up our chat, no matter who it is, with a segment called Pick Your Poison. Now, what we do here... Vodka. Oh, Vodka. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, that's one of the answers. So, you got two choices, and you need to pick your favorite of the two. Whichever one you pick, the other one is gone from existence. Oh, shit. Forever? Forever. So, you got to act as if, like, you're, the, right. you're the god here. You're making the decisions. Alright, so I'm on I'm on planet Earth. Whatever I pick stays, the other one is vanished. Exactly. Give them to me. Pizza or burger? Burger's gone. Pizza stays. Okay. Chicken or beef? Fucking beef stays. Chicken's gone. Alright. No point asking the next Pit one. Beef, that is. No point asking the next one. Whiskey or vodka? I like whiskey too, but vodka staying. Okay. Uh, beach or snow? I can't believe that I screamed out vodka. <laughs> that was actually one of the questions. Um, uh, uh, I mean, snow's got to go, but I'm not Mr. Beach either. Okay. Cat. I'll take I'll take like fall. Ooh, okay. All right. Technical. Cat or dog? Get the cat out of here. <laughs> All right. Batman or Superman? I mean, I like that um Batman Begins movie, but both of them can fuck off. I don't care. <laughs> All right, we're going to... Oh, oh, one last movie one before we get into some music ones. Terminator or Predator? 
That's like asking me dumb or dumber. I don't care about either of them. <laughs> All right, music ones. These are going to be, there's only a couple here, and I know they're going to probably piss you off because they're not going to be easy to pick. So the first one is Agnostic or Madball. I mean, I guess Madball. Uh, I guess Madball's got to go because without AF, there is no Madball. So you got to like give them a seniority nod. So sorry, Madball. Okay, sick of it all or H two O? I'll keep H two O because the lyrics on that first. Uh, their first album are so amazing. Like those lyrics are like perfect. So I'm going to keep H2O just for that one record. Okay. E-Town Concrete or No Warning? Oh, dude. I got to keep No Warning because I need Jordan and Terror. Like mm-hmm. I need Jordan and if if anyone knew how much Ben Cook has done for terror and for me myself, I can't lose no warning. They got to be on planet Earth, so they're staying. Just out of my own greed. <laughs> it's not even <laughs> for them, it's for me. Well, you're going to have the same but, kind of problem with this one. Down to nothing or wisdom in chains. I mean, I, I gotta. The other four members of Wisdom and Chain gotta bite the bullet because that drummer Luke, he's gotta get off planet Earth anyway. <laughs> he's one of the worst indiv- <laughs> one of the worst people I've ever met in my life. So he's gotta go, and those <laughs> other four great respectful men have to go with him. I guess. <laughs> um, m- Slayer or Pantera? Ugh. Pantera, goodbye. I don't like Pantera at all. Slayer's amazing. All right, the last few here. Now, this one this one should be simple. In the mosh pit or up the back watching? Would you rather have a mosh pit going or would you rather everyone standing back? <laughs> I'd rather have a mosh pit. <laughs> all right, touring or recording? My couch watching TV. <laughs> Last one, CD or vinyl? Vinyl, for sure. Yeah, fuck yeah. Um, but CD, CD over digital because at least you get the layout and some pictures and some lyrics. Yeah, I know. I, I love, I love having a CD. The whole old school thing of holding it in your hand. Nothing can beat it. Um, Amen. Scott. That's us done, dude. Fucking thank you, man. Like, really, really appreciate this. No problem. Uh, Make sure you come and introduce yourself and say hello when we get over there. Get a run, run, run.
So that was my chat with Scott of Terra. You also heard there at the end of our chat their track Get Off My Back, which comes off their absolute amazing album that was released this year called Total Retaliation. Now, I have to say, Scott, thank you so, so, so much for taking time out for me and the Mosh Zone. Really, really appreciate it. It was a great chat and a big moment for me as a fanboy of the band and what you do. And forever grateful, forever thankful. Much love, much respect, much appreciated. And really looking forward to getting a chance to meet and catch up when you tour Australia in January. Really looking forward to it. Thank you again, Scott, for taking time out for the Mosh Zone. Guys, if you haven't heard that album, Total Retaliation, make sure you get into it. It's without a doubt one of the best hardcore albums you will hear this year. Now's your time. Get involved. Get into it. There is so much there. There is so much amazing music these guys have released over the years. Definitely worth your time. So as I said, thank you again, Scott, for taking time out for the Mosh Zone. And that is it for the Mosh Zone episode 45. Revamped, changed up. We're doing things a little bit different, but it's done and dusted in the can. Guys, if you're a first-time listener, thank you for tuning in. I hope you come back over future weeks on future episodes. If you're a regular listener, thank you as always for tuning in. Hope you enjoyed the new format and hope you come back in future weeks. This time of the show is when I remind you that we need your help to get out to more listeners. So if you've got a few moments this week and you enjoyed this episode, share it on your social medias. Also, tell everyone you know about the Mosh Zone. Help us out. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. Also, at this time of the show, I need to remind you that if you want to find Mosh News and Mosh Reviews, we have it all on our website and social medias. Our website is www.themoshzone.com. Our social medias are all at The Mosh Zone, and you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also, don't forget, you can also get in touch through our email address, which is themoshzone at gmail.com. Get in touch, guys. Help us grow this Mosh Zone community. There's not much else to talk about. That is all of my rambling done. That is it for this week's show. Thank you for tuning in. Have a great week. Stay safe. Open the pitch.